This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss. My name is Judy Liebrach. Back in March, I interviewed a wonderful person, and we had a beautiful connection. Her name is Gail Prather, and we are going to play that interview today. Sadly, we have just heard that Gail passed away last month, and so we want to dedicate this episode to her blessed memory. We also wanted to send our heartfelt condolences to Gail's family, friends, fans, and all who loved her. We will play the episode as recorded back in March. And in the spirit of Gail Prather, may we always go gently down the stream. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and I'll never forget that one of the first self-help books I ever read was a book called Notes to Myself by Hugh Prather. And it's one of the reasons that I became so interested really 30 years ago in the pursuit of bliss, self-help, and spirituality. And that book and the many others followed by Hugh and his wife, Gail Prather, are just all the things to me. And so when this book, Gently Down This Dream, Notes on My Sudden Departure, came across my desk, I was immediately intrigued. Just to share with you some of the testimonials on the front and back cover of the book, they're quite remarkable. Dr. Wayne Dyer says, Hugh Prather speaks the language of spiritual transformation. I love this man and all that he writes. Robert Johnson says, notes to myself lit a path within. Spiritual notes to myself is a gentle guide to walking that path daily. It's filled with wisdom and joy. How to live in the world and still be happy offers more than hope. It's a lifeline. Thank you. And Ayanla Van Zandt wrote that Hugh's book, How to Live in the World and Still Be Happy, offers more than hope. It's a lifeline. Hugh, you surely opened my eyes again. And my favorite, because it's one of my favorite books, Neil Donald Walsh, who wrote Conversations with God, of course, writes that the gifts of wisdom and the treasure inside of Hugh Prather flow to us once again from the generosity of spirit in this wonderful book shining through. And in another book, The Little Book of Letting Go, Joan Borisenko says it's a treasure trove of practical spiritual wisdom. And finally, and you all know this name in the news these days, Marion Williamson, who's actually running to become president of the United States, writes, Notes to Myself is one of those books you never outgrow. You read it again and again, every so often, and marvel at how much deeper it gets as the years go by. So now let's turn to our honored guest today, Gail Prather, who many people don't realize co-wrote many of these books with her late beloved husband of 45 years, Hugh Prather. Gail, you wrote in the foreword of your book, Gently Down This Dream, and I quote, despite his protestations, we had a truly loving collaboration because we both wanted to express our shared belief in love, oneness, and peace. After I finished editing this most recent book, we laughed about my changes and additions and assumed that we would continue doing this for years to come. 
and Hugh died the next day. And I wanted to say right now, I'm so sorry about that, Gail. Thank you. I'm so sorry about your loss. Gently Down This Dream is a book for those who are tired of striving and suffering and want to awaken to the peace and love that are within us all. And when this happened, when when Hugh Prather sadly passed away and completed this book in 2010, and as mentioned, gave it to his wife and writing partner, Gail Prather, who's here today to shape and edit, as mentioned, he passed away the next day. So all of the book's essays and poems and aphorisms born out of a lifetime of contemplative practice and counseling work make for a loving and lovely P.S. to his millions of fans and a winning introduction to his beautiful mind for new fans to come. It's bravely self-revelatory, relentlessly compassionate words, lovingly curated by his longtime partner, and collaborator, which of course is Gail Prather, delivers spiritual insights that are perfect for the divisive times we live in. And really this book, Gently Down This Dream, beautiful title, we'll talk about that in a moment, presents the self-improvement practices that served Hugh and Gail in their long life together. And it includes all the lessons they learned and later taught. The Prather's fresh, authentic humor, comfort, and wisdom articulate a way through what can often seem the prison of the self, offering a reliable means for navigating a world that sometimes feels out of control and a greater path to love. In 1970, I mentioned that Hugh Prather turned his diary into a self-help guide called Notes to Myself. I can visualize it. It's white and there's a bird on the cover and I can picture it so clearly, which went on to sell nearly 8 million copies worldwide and generate countless imitations of that work. And his work also inspired thousands of people to become diarists and start examining their own lives. And Hugh and his wife, Gail Prather, later co-wrote a series of advice books for couples. And they lived together in Tucson, Arizona, which is where Gail still lives. And she joins us today from Tucson. Gail Prather, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. What an honor to have you here. Thank you so very much. And I'm very honored to be here. Gail, Hugh would write the first draft of each one of his books, and he wrote many books together, some of which include Notes to Myself, Spiritual Notes to Myself, A Book for Couples, Notes to Each Other, The Little Book of Letting Go, Spiritual Parenting, and How to Live in the World and Still Be Happy, just to name a few. And he would write that first draft, and then you'd get in there editing and revising and adding and deleting and cleaning. And you wrote this final book together, Gently Down This Dream. Can you tell us more about what the collaborative process was like for you typically and in this final book that you wrote together? Well, Hugh would write. Now, we would often talk about what the book was going to be about. And then Hugh would write it. And when he had finished, as he would always say, now go in there and destroy it. And but he was kidding. Hmm. I would go in and make changes, edit, additions, also deletions, a few deletions. And then he would generally then reread it and we would discuss. And he did reread. He had reread my changes. And that's when we were laughing and talking about, you know, everything and how it would be. Hmm. And it was wonderful. And we were so incredibly happy. I mean, our we never fought over any of the books. What a wonderful partnership to be able to share this kind of beautiful work together as a husband and wife. I, I just, I find it so romantic, I have to tell you. I know that one of Hugh's favorite songs was Row, Row, Row Your Boat Gently Down the Stream. 
Was his favorite song the inspiration for the title of your book? Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. It was. It definitely was. And we also sang it at Hughes Memorial Service. I know. You know, when you think about it, it realistically tells us everything we need to know about living in this world. You don't keep rowing upstream trying to get that Mercedes. You just gently drift downstream in peace. And you look with love upon everything you see because you're not really having to row. You're just following a path of peace. Mm -hmm. I love that. You mentioned, of course, that your husband sadly passed away. And again, I'm so sorry about your loss. You finished writing it. This was back in 2010. And I know that you started to bring the book back to life about 10 years later. Can you tell us more about the trajectory of how this all evolved? And I know there was someone named Joe DeRepos. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly and how you bumped into him, and that helped lead to the (laughs) writing of this book. I love how everything is serendipity, right? Can you tell us about that? Mm -hmm. This was crazy. Okay, I got an email, because I'm not on social media, I don't really, I was, I got an email from Joe Durapos, and he just, you know, told me this story about he had met you, and I remember him then. He loved Notes to Myself. And he actually came, he knew he lived in Santa Fe. He actually came to Santa Fe. And the first thing he did, he went into a bookstore and he bought all the copies they had left of Notes to Myself. And then he he was in kind of a hurry. So he had to rush to get out of the bookstore. And he jumped in front of a man who was standing behind him in order to check out more quickly. Okay. The woman who was checking him out said, oh, and by the way, the man who wrote these books that you're buying is the one you jumped in front of. So he turned around expecting anger, judgment, and he just said, let me buy you lunch. (laughs) They went to lunch and they had an absolutely wonderful time and became friends. And so when Joe emailed me, and this was like years after Hugh died. I mean, this was not that long ago. And he helped in so many ways because I couldn't, I did, you know, I sent it to one publishing company and I just were sorry, but blah, blah, blah. And anyway, he got it New World Library, which is wonderful. He got it published and he helped me with everything. Mm, so incredible. There really are so many profound and beautiful lessons in this book. And I, I was thinking as I read it, Gail, that This book needs to be on everyone's bedside table so that you can refer to it time and time again. (laughs) And one of the inspirational thoughts in the book is how important it is for us to live in the present moment. Does this mean that we shouldn't make plans for the future or talk about the past? How do we stay in present moment awareness? You stay in the present moment by just, you know, we're in the present now. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we're not thinking about the future or the past. We're just here talking to each other. And that's what's important, but it has nothing to do with making plans. I mean, realistically, you make plans in the present. You know, if you're going to take a trip to Canada, which I would love to do, um, you can buy the ticket today. You're doing it in the present. It has nothing whatsoever to do with not making plans for the future. What it has to do with is not being controlled by the past or 
the future. Mm-hmm. You know, we're always projecting into the future what we want, what we, everything, how it should be, or we are just made sick by the past, thinking mm-hmm. about all the memories, et cetera, et cetera. So the present frees us to be who we are now, to be who we want to be, and to live in peace and love and oneness. Mm, I love that. I also feel there's sort of a common refrain, if you will, or a drumbeat or a common denominator all throughout the book, which is the mantra that all things I do, I will do in peace. Can you talk to us about how to create a peaceful mind in your everyday life, how to protect your peace, the way a mother bird protects her baby birds, and to really strengthen that peaceful muscle, if you will, so that it can become automatic? Well, the thing that is important, as Hugh used to say, make your peace of mind as important as diarrhea. <laughs> now think about that. Wow. If you have diarrhea, what do you do? You don't just sit there and go, oh, it'll be okay, or I can wait an hour. No, you go to the bathroom right then. <laughs> but when we lose our peace of mind, when you find ourselves angry or judgmental or obsessed with the past or the future, we don't have time. <laughs> to sit down, close our eyes, and turn to the light of peace, love, and oneness. And so basically, that's what it is. It's the willingness to make your peace of mind as important as a diarrhea. <laughs> and we should be able to do that realistically. Right. I also sense throughout the book that cheerfulness and optimism are so important. Hugh writes, quote, Clearly, there are people who are innately cheerful who do not try to pressure those around them to share their outlook. Little children frequently display this attitude. Surprisingly, they are happy for no apparent reason. Innately cheerful individuals perceive, think, and react more gently. This may be a basic part of a person's nature, but it can also be learned through practice. Merely set the goal of being a little more peaceful, a little happier, a little more amused at the start of each activity. He writes and you write, and the more modest the goal, the more effective it tends to be. The mind can smile. What a lovely phrase. Can you tell us a little bit more about cheerfulness? And was Hugh a naturally cheerful person? And are you? Hmm, Naturally cheerful. I don't think either of us was, particularly because we knew someone in Santa Fe who, well, everybody used to say you could see three children run down and killed in front of her house, and she would figure out how there was something wonderful about it. Wow. She was a positive thinker of the worst nature. So I don't think it has anything to do with positive thinking. Positive thinking can make us deny Mm -hmm. reality. Mm -hmm. No, and we never want to deny reality. We don't want to judge it or be angry, but we want to see it clearly. Mm -hmm. And so basically... It's just being able to turn to the light now and to know who we are and what we are. You know, it was wonderful to hear Hugh describe his father, so your father-in-law, at 100 years old, who was still always in good spirits, no matter what was happening to his body. And I love the joke when Hugh asked his own father, how are you feeling, Dad? And his father responded, (laughs) not as good as when I was 96. And then Hugh asked him, are you still enjoying life? And he responded, well, I'm just down to one girlfriend now. What are some ways, (laughs) I love that story, to be in good spirits most of the time and just to maybe have that basic lightheartedness of being, if you will? I think, honestly, if we turn to the light within us and the peace within us, it's there. Mm -hmm. We feel it. We don't have to somehow go out and find it or find some 
particular path or religion or anything like that. It's basically just the willingness to turn to the light now and to have it now. And then it's there. We don't have to seek it. If all we have to do is shut off our, what I call the ego mind, mm-hmm. you know, the sentence player, and just close our eyes like we did at the beginning mm-hmm. and turn to the light, turn to peace, turn to oneness. Mm-hmm. And then it's Yeah, I know. I love that you say that is to sort of weaken the ego and strengthen your spiritual core. And there's just so many ways to do this. And, you know, when I was reading about Hugh's father, it reminded me of my father who has passed and he was a very innocent being in so many ways. And so I loved your chapter on how practicing innocence brings freedom. Can you explain more about this whole concept of innocence and how we can all sort of return to a state of innocence? Well, I think we are always in a state of innocence, but we assume blame. And there are things we've done. There's things I've done in my past that I can still remember. In fact, weirdly enough, I can remember more things I'm ashamed of than I was happy about. It's strange to me. But what it means is don't be obsessed with the past. Don't be obsessed with the future. Be in the present and just let yourself know who you are. Believe it. Don't keep looking for some path that will lead you there. Just believe it, who you are. And I mean, what you are doing allows people to do that. It brings them there. And so to me, this is more important than anything we do in all of our lives. Absolutely. You also write about emotions and how emotions are basically illusory. What do you mean by that? Well, now, if you fall down and hurt yourself, which I did in August, mm. that emotion is logical. Mm-hmm. You're upset and bleeding and blah, blah, blah. And oh my gosh, I wish I hadn't done that. Whatever it was that led you to fall. Okay. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it, so many of our emotions are caused by thoughts, either about the past or the future. They can even be in the present, but rarely are they in the present. But think about it. The thoughts that we have are, where do they come from? They don't come from the spirit because they're generally separating. You know, we're either attacking ourselves or attacking others or judging ourselves or judging others. And we often think it's a good thing to judge ourselves, but it isn't because then we're separating ourselves from oneness. Mm -hmm. And so it's just the willingness to truly believe in the truth of who we are and not doubt it. You know, doubt creeps in to everything virtually that we do. Doubt, 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 and conflict. And so it's what you want to do is not have that. And so you want to just release it. You don't have to examine it, a thought. You just release it. You let it go and turn to the light. This reminds me also of the line in your book where uh, Hugh writes, an expectation is a resentment waiting to happen. Wow, is that ever powerful? And I really related to that. So are expectations intrinsically unhealthy things? Huh. Well, now let's see. If your grandchildren are coming to visit you, I think a happy expectation is warranted. Yes. But expectations of, well, for example, one thing that hurt Hughes in my career is we didn't get into 
you can be rewarded with Mercedes and what's better than a Mercedes? Jaguar. Tesla? <laughs> Jaguar, okay. Jaguar. Yeah, Jaguars are fat. You know, those expectations that hurt us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You say also, there, there's just so, I have to just tell everybody like th- this book is so full of so many truisms and great life lessons and reminders. One of them is if you perceive yourself as a victim, that can be one of the major blocks to experiencing peace. But what do you do if you perceive that you've been treated unfairly or there have been betrayals or real, in fact, injustices? How do you rise above that and not see yourself as a victim? Well, that is a serious problem because forgiveness is a huge part of awakening to peace and love and oneness. Mm -hmm. But we think of forgiveness as a gift to the other person. Mm -hmm. It is not a gift to the other person. It is a gift to us because we free ourselves from the past. Think about that. To be free of the past. Now, I never had to be free from my past because I had wonderful parents and generally things were, you know, life wasn't perfect. School wasn't perfect, blah, blah, blah. But generally, I didn't have a lot that I had to, you know, forgive. But Hugh did. Horrible. You know, his father was married four times and had multiple affairs throughout his life. And his mother was married three times. So he had a lot that he had to work on, but he did, and he overcame that. And so essentially, now if you, this does not mean that you weren't abused. You know, people are abused, they are beaten, they are verbally abused, and that should be reported. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not saying that you should not report these things, it should be, but the question is, do I want to remain living proof of what was done to me in the past? Or do I want to be who I was meant to be? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. You know, everyone has a boundary and I'm a life coach. So I even discuss this with my clients. I have a huge value for me around respect. And I think you talk in the book about ways to command it, if not demand it. What are your thoughts on the whole notion about being respected as a parent, as a person, as a human being in general? Being respected? Mm -hmm. Well, we all want to be respected. Everyone wants to be respected, but you can't force it to happen. And so to get caught up in, you know, oh, so-and-so isn't respecting me enough. Well, ask yourself, and do I respect them? Do I respect this person? And frequently we don't. You know, when we are seeking acceptance and all sorts of things. We're not really looking at, we're just looking at how they are treating Mm -hmm. us, not how we are treating them. And so to Mm -hmm. me, it's just not helpful to think that way. You're probably right. You're probably right. You have this amazing exercise in the book where you suggest writing down what is making you unhappy in a few words, putting it on a strip of paper and putting each one of these strips into a Ziploc bag and keep adding to this as new thoughts arise. Can you tell us more about what you do with these little slips of paper in the Ziploc bag? How does the exercise work? Don't answer that just yet. We're going to go on a short commercial break. We'll be back in a moment with more from this wonderful book, Gently Down This Dream with Gail Prather. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. 
Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740. And I was just asking you before the break, Gail, about this wonderful exercise in your book where you take these little slips of paper in a Ziploc bag. Can you tell us more about why you do this and what it's all about? Well, okay, you want to do it because these thoughts, the thoughts that we have throughout the day and frequent now, it's crucial to be conscious of your thoughts, really crucial, and to look at them with, you know, not to just assume they are all correct. You know, I told you, I think it's in the book, maybe that wonderful bumper sticker, you don't have to believe everything you think. Mm -hmm. Okay, now think about it. Okay, so say you think about something political that you're very upset with. Now, if you get upset, if you're angry and all upset, what does that do? Does that change the political situation? No. Does it change the person you are upset with? No. All it does is hurt you. And so the reason to do it, to walk away from it, to get away from it, is to be free to be at peace now. So you take one of the papers in the bag. Oh, how, how does the exercise work? Okay. You have a thought, you write it down, you put it in a bag. And then when you are aware of having that thought again, you take it out and look at it again and read it. And then you say to yourself, do I want this thought? And you don't, you really don't want it. You don't often, you don't even believe it. And so essentially it allows that little thing of putting them in the bag allows us to be more conscious and aware of the things that are undermining our peace of mind. And also it must be an empowering sense of feeling like you can control that thought and say, I don't need that. That's not serving me. And that's not serving my peaceful yeah, life. Exactly. So I'm going to put it back in the bag, put it in file 13, as yeah. we used to say in the olden days, right? And just let it go. Yeah. You take it out of the bag when you have the thought again is, then you realize, oh my gosh, what am I doing mm -hmm. to myself? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Fear can really get in the way for people and so can worry. And we've had a lot of fear and worry over the last three years in this oh. pandemic. And it's ongoing for many people. I know of many people in their 80s and 90s who are afraid to leave their homes. They're afraid to get yes. COVID. They're afraid to be in a vulnerable position. And so we all give fear our full attention. And you write in the book and Hugh and you write in the book that fear blocks love oneness and peace. And fear is definitely one of our most destructive emotions. And by giving fear your full attention, it begins to dissipate. I found that so fascinating. By giving fear your full attention, it almost seems counterintuitive. But you say by doing that, that fear begins to dissipate. Can you explain how that happens? Sure. Well, think about it. When we look clearly at something, we frequently see it more clearly because often we're aware of a fear. You know, you're aware of suddenly being afraid. And so what do you do? 
usually we're so like, God, what will I do? What will I do? Oh, oh no, oh no. What's going to happen? What's going to No. Look at the fear first to see if you even believe it, because frequently we don't, or if you're even aware of what the fear is coming yeah. from. You know, because it can be a fear about something happening next year. Yes. It's, you know, so the thing is not to get caught up in fear because fear does nothing. It helps nothing. It changes mm-hmm. nothing. Now, in situations where you're on the highway and it looks like you're going to be hit, fear is logical mm-hmm. at that point. That is logical to be afraid at that time. But so often that's not when we act out, you know, and feel afraid. So true. You have some great suggestions for orienting your mind towards peace. And that is what we talked about earlier, releasing expectations, thinking small, taking even little steps at the beginning of your day by saying, I expect nothing of this day. I release my mind from all plans, goals, and agendas starting this instant. I'll sink deeply into now. Now, some people would argue, well, but you have plans. If I have, I have five, two radio shows, I have to get them done. That's part of my plan. That's part of my agenda. That's part of, you know, I, I have to, or there won't be a show on the air this weekend. So can you explain what you mean by that? Well, it is, you know, there's one thing of just, you know, you recognize, okay, here's the day and I have to do these things. And then you go forth and do them in peace. Mm-hmm. But think about the other thing. Like, oh my God, I can't do this. What am I going to, you undermine yourself. We undermine ourselves when we look at it that way with all these emotions, Mm -hmm. rather than just saying, okay, I'm going to get through this, all of these things, one at a time, in the present, in peace. And that's a whole different way to look Mm -hmm. at it. Doing it with confidence and surety and just not giving that Mm -hmm. other too much attention, too much airtime. That's very smart. You did touch on this already, Gail. Forgiveness is so important. Does forgiveness mean that we should stay in an abusive or unhealthy situation with a family member or a friend who's not treating us the way we want to be treated? Why is forgiveness so important and what is the best approach to forgiveness? Okay, forgiveness is vastly under, you know, it just isn't understood because we think, again, as I said, giving a gift to another person, Mm -hmm. forgiveness frees us. I mean, think about that. You know, I, I talk in the book about how we counseled a couple. And she considered herself a rageaholic. Hmm. And that meant that she screamed at her husband and children all the time for just hmm. minor things. And it was driving them. They didn't know what wow. to do. They couldn't. And she just kept saying, oh, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's my parents' fault. This is how they treated me. Hmm. And hmm. so what you have to do, what we have to do is realize, okay, do I want, here you are, you're just living, you're being, there she was being living proof of what was done to her rather than being a loving mother and wife. Now, which would we rather be? Would we rather be some remnant from the past or would we rather be in the present as who we were meant to be? But you know, some people want to hold on to that. And so they they don't forgive basically because they don't want to. Mm-hmm. I, I love in the book when he writes that there are ways to argue in peace, that there are 10 steps, which is fascinating. And can you take us through some, not all, because I want people to get the book and read all the 10 steps for themselves, but some of the steps, not interrupting, facing each other on a chair, listening. Can you tell us a little more about the 10 steps of how to argue in peace? Well, 
you know, most people, okay, you cannot bring up the past. Mm -hmm. That is essential. Mm -hmm. You have to stay focused on the issue at mm -hmm. hand because what people do is they want to win. They don't want to resolve. They want to win. Mm -hmm. And so they bring up the past. They bring up issues from the past, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so what you have to do, what we would have people do is to sit down, face each other, and essentially discuss it. Then they get up and change chairs. Mm -hmm. This is crucial to sort of see from the other person's perspective. Mm -hmm. And then you want to give each other a gift that will resolve the issue. I can give you an example of a couple we were, well, this was at a retreat where we were hired to, you know, do a retreat thing. And this one couple, she loved to do fancy parties, you know, dinner parties and dress up and everything. And he refused to dress up. He would come in floppy, horrible clothes. And it just really, she felt like he was disrespecting her. Mm -hmm. Anyway, her gift to him was you can dress any way you want to. And his gift to her was I will always dress up and what it came from he felt like if he ever gave in to her then she would own him she would control mm -hmm. him and he would never be mm -hmm. free and so see, you, you can see how we have these unconscious beliefs or thoughts that control us in many ways mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really sense that you and Hugh had a pretty evolved marriage just from everything I read about you and the fact that you wrote these self-help beautiful books together and I think there was an understanding between you and your husband to be very careful with your words and omit things that are not necessary to say that might be hurtful so do we always have to be honest does that mean if someone asks if a particular outfit might be unflattering do you answer honestly no not at least honestly in terms of the world, but honestly in care if you want to be kind and loving, mm -hmm. you know, because this isn't a question like, well, you know, a question that sort of goes to the core of life. You know, does this dress make me look fat or whatever? That's not, you know, we can answer that and just say, absolutely not. You look fabulous. Mm -hmm. Now, we may be lying. What if we're not lying? What if another person would look at that person and go, Wow, mm -hmm. gorgeous. Yeah. So see, we can, you know, we get caught up in all these issues. And what that does is keep us spiraling through religions and spiritual paths and on and on and on and on, mm -hmm. rather than just being who we are now and turning to the light and the peace of mm -hmm. God. You raise an important point in the book, which is what if I don't want to be a saint? I love that. <laughs> I know. Well, think about it. I mean, even saints, some saints we've had in the world have done things that perhaps were not, <laughs> you know. So you don't have to be a saint. You know, to want to be a saint, I think, is to want to be what? Above other humans in the world? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so... I don't want to be a saint. I don't think it's helpful to want to be a saint because if you were a saint, then you would kind of possibly look at other people and think, ah, not going to heaven or whatever it is you believe. Right. So I don't know. I think what I want is not to be a saint. I want to be kind. You know what? I want to practice the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That to me is all we need to know. Mm -hmm. You also you know, have something in the book called the 50-50 myth. What does that mean? The 50-50 myth? 
Is that about marriage? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The 50-50 myth is sort of that thought that, you know, marriages, half of them break up, you know, so you can go into a marriage thinking, oh, it's probably not going to work out. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that do? Mm-hmm. That undermines your relationship. Mm-hmm. And so you want to go into a relationship assuming 100%, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to do everything I can to make this work. You have a whole section on infatuation, which is not love, but is often mistaken for love. How many of us in our teens and 20s, I'm in love, I'm in love, <laughs> right? I know. But it has nothing uh-huh. to do with real love. Now, you had real love for over 45 years of marriage. So what is it? Love or infatuation? Love. Love, <laughs> love. love is eternal commitment. Mm-hmm. And it's simply mm-hmm. eternal commitment. Nice. It lasts beyond death. It lasts into eternity. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And infatuation is me, how I feel. Mm-hmm. You know, because people frequently go to marriage, and Hugh and I did a lot of marriage counseling. They go to marriage counselors because they've lost the infatuation. Mm-hmm. So they think the marriage mm-hmm. is over. No, no. Infatuation is meaningless. What you want is commitment and love. Mm. Commitment leads to Mm -hmm. love. It's very true. You also say it's so important. I love this part in the book because I really believe this. It's important to have happy conversations. Friends are not for venting. That's what you go to a therapist for. You know, occasionally vent. Okay. Give a little vent, a mini vent. All right. But friendship should mostly be happy (laughs) conversations and the sharing of mutual caring And I love my conversations with friends and would love to hear your thoughts on how to have more happy conversations. Well, I think the first thing is don't start with some probing question that you know will upset your friend. You know, don't do that. And focus on them. Don't focus on you. Focus on them and how they're doing and what they're thinking and how they're feeling rather than you know, oh, I have to tell you blah, 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 blah about me, (laughs) you know. And the thing is, it's just happier when we aren't focused on what am I getting out of Mm -hmm. this rather than what can I give to this Mm -hmm. conversation. Lovely. You know, I didn't realize, Gail, before doing research for this show, that both you and your husband were ministers for a church and you've studied the wonderful Course in Miracles, which can be a lifelong study, I know. What is the greatest thing that you learned from the Course of Miracles? I know there's many things, but if you had to just choose one now. Forgiveness. Mm-hmm. The importance of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And oneness. The fact that oneness is reality and eternal, and we are one with God and one with all. Mm-hmm. What do you believe is the single most powerful force for awakening to the peace and love of God? Now, you might say that's forgiveness. Is it important to believe in a religion if you want to know God? A religion? No. Uh-uh. No. In fact, I don't know if there's time for this, but I, where I found my, kid, my cycle, feral kitty, the, there was a minister out there. It was a Catholic. It's a Catholic monastery. And there was a priest there who gave a sermon about the Good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you know the story of the Good Mm -hmm. Samaritan. And in this version of the story, there is a Catholic bishop who is headed to Rome to meet the new pope. And he's driving to the airport in Tucson. 
and somebody he sees a crash where somebody's seriously injured and he thinks, oh, I should stop, I should stop, I should help, I should do something. But he doesn't. He thinks, I can't miss my plane. So he says a Hail Mary and goes on. Okay, then comes a Presbyterian bishop and essentially the same thing, except he doesn't say a Hail Mary, he says an Our Father. Then coming from the airport is a man who's lost his job. He has an interview at Raytheon, which is a big company here. And, you know, he has children and a family. And he stops. And he's also broke. You know, he doesn't have a job. He doesn't have money. But he stops. And he gets out. And he calls an ambulance. And he helps the man. And he goes to the hospital with the man. And he even pays the bill. Okay. Then here is the amazing thing. The priest said, and he's an atheist. Mm, I knew you were going to say that. Now think about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Fabulous. Great story. Do you believe that if we're truly kind and loving people, that we will be happier in the world, or does it not always work that way? Well, the world is a hard place to be in. And I can tell you honestly, as we age, it becomes more difficult with things that happen to your body to sort of, you know, to be at peace with it all. I work hard on that every day. But we can be happy. We can actually be happy regardless of what happens. We can, I mean, think of Nelson Mandela and how he lived his life. My gosh, to forgive, to love. You know, there are people who do it. Now, are they perfect? Are they saints? No, but they do it. And so I think that's what's important. Mm -hmm. So true. I have a very good friend who's been on this show in a segment called Ask Ellen. She's just a very wise girl. And we always have this conversation about what's more powerful, prayer or meditation. What do you think? For me, meditation, I wouldn't answer for everyone, but for me, it's meditation because I'm not asking for anything. Mm -hmm. What I'm doing is, I mean, when I meditate, what I do is breathe deeply and slowly, and I just calm my mind and turn to the light and to peace. So, I mean, having grown up now, I'm, I'm happy I grew up a Methodist because I don't feel damaged by that religion board, perhaps, but not damaged. Mm -hmm. And prayer was basically asking for mm -hmm. things. Now, maybe it's different. Maybe there's a different way to do it. And praying for others. Now, I do pray for others, but the way I pray for them is, I picture them in my mind and I hold them in light and I talk. To them. I don't know if that's praying or not, but you know. Sounds pretty prayerful to me. <laughs> choosing stillness is so important. You say in the book, choosing stillness is to rest in God. And I just, I know we're running out of time, but I just, I want people to read about this in the book as well, about choosing stillness, because it's very, very important. And I also love that you write that happiness and a naturally happy mind puts you in a better position to recognize love and to choose behavior that leads towards peace. The more anxious the mind, the narrower and tighter it tends to be, whereas a happy mind is more relaxed. It's so true. Mm -hmm. It's open to many more options and it may unexpectedly generate one or two more measures of good luck. How so? That happy mind, how can that bring good luck to a person? Well, I mean, think about it. When we get nervous or anxious or angry, our minds become obsessed with that and we're not happy. Now, it doesn't change anything, you know, to be anxious. What does it do? It just hurts us. To be angry 
Does that change the situation? Generally not. And so it's just, you know, to have a happy mind, a mind that is at rest, essentially. Mm -hmm. It's a mind that recognizes the truth of oneness, even though that is hard to see in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just incredibly important. Mm -hmm. It's so true. To be happy. Let yourself be at peace and be happy. Yeah. Sometimes we think it's wrong because of the stuff that goes on in the Mm -hmm. world. You know, the show is called Finding Your Bliss, Gail, and I love that you talk about people's calling and that we don't always find it immediately. And you write that you've met so many people on a spiritual path who feel they have not met their calling. So how can they bring bliss into their purpose at work, in their job, in their life while they're waiting for their real bliss to happen? And I know you talk about some ways and strategies to make your job, even if it's not your dream job yet, sometimes more bearable, even enjoyable, and dare I say, even more blissful. Yeah. Well, that it isn't easy in the world, and jobs can be so difficult. And particularly during COVID, I think it was so difficult for young people, particularly working, going, everything. Mm-hmm. So essentially, the reason we do it is for ourselves but also for others. I mean, think about it. If we turn to the light, if we are one, if we believe in happiness and peace and oneness then and love, then we can be happy in this world now. Now, it won't change the world, but the thing is we are connected with people in the world, human beings all over the world. And it does connect with them. I mean, do you remember that day when people prayed for, I mean, you, you may be too young to remember. It was a long time ago. All over the world at a certain time, you closed your eyes and turned sort of to pray for peace. Mm-hmm. Well, when Hugh and I did it, and we were living in Patagonia, Arizona <laughs> then, we felt people all over. You could feel them. You could feel people all over the world doing it. And that is True. That is true. What do you mean when you say that one can touch the sky? Hmm. I think that means that, you know, we think of the sky as sort of this wonderful place. And so I think you can touch it when we turn to the light because the light is everywhere and it is especially we associate it often with the sky. And the light is there. I mean, who doesn't love looking at the sun or at sunsets and, you know, just the light? It restores your faith. And the light is there. It restores your faith. I also love your belief, and I'm so with you on this, that we can really be anything we want if we want it badly enough. And that there's nothing you really can't achieve. You just have to reach down deep. I know you really believe this. And I think you really believe this yeah. when he wrote this in the book. What are your thoughts on that, on we can really be anything and achieve anything that we want to? We can, but we have to remember we want to do it with love. Mm -hmm. And so if you do it, like work can be so difficult. I mean, Hugh and I were blessed in that we didn't have to go out to an office or, you know, anything like that. I mean, I taught school, Hugh taught school, but we did it briefly. And I think what you have to do is accept your job today, Mm -hmm. except how it is today. Mm -hmm. And so you commit to it today. Mm -hmm. You know, you make that commitment. And when you make that commitment, you're not conflicted. Mm -hmm. You know, because when we're not committed, we are conflicted. And so you're not conflicted and you go in today, only today. We're not committed for tomorrow, today. Mm -hmm. 
hearts. We go in, we do the best we can, and we are at peace with it. I love that. We have a lot of grandparents listening because this is Zoomer Radio. And you say the function of grandparents is to love without hesitation or reservation. And you also say that grandparenting is the process of learning how to love another as yourself. That really sounds wonderful. Can you say more? (laughs) Well, you know, we we love others and we should realistically love everyone as ourselves. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is the one law that is crucial on earth. And grandparents, you know, grandparents, I mean, I have to say, I am much more understanding of my grand, two wonderful grandchildren than I was of my two wonderful sons. And so, in a way, it's sort of a, you don't have the expectations for your grandchildren that you put on your children. That's wonderful. Now, Hugh and I didn't really have expectations, you know, we didn't force expectations on our kids. In fact, some a little bit they said you should have pushed us more. <laughs> but, you know, I remember first grade when my youngest son was in first grade and I was going to call one of his friends. I called the mom of one of his friends to see if he could come over that weekend. And she said, oh, I'll have to check his schedule. He had a schedule oh, and he was in first Lord. grade. Goodness, Lord. <laughs> That's crazy. That is so crazy. I love the idea that we're all one. This is another huge concept in the book. And you talk about the circle of oneness, just briefly, how the one way to get us through everything is only with love. And I know you've said this a lot, but just briefly, the circle of oneness. Well, I think what that is now, there's actually a group called, I think it's online called the circle of oneness. It's a course related group. Anyway, the circle of oneness to me is just the recognition. You know, we you get so caught up in all the events of the world, the politics and the cruel and horrible things that happen in the world. But the but you know, our getting upset changes nothing. Our getting angry changes nothing. But when we believe in a circle of oneness, we close our eyes and we hold those people in the light and in love whether they survived something or didn't survive it. But they are there, and we are there for them eternally. Lovely. What is bliss for Gail Prather? Bliss for me? Oh, I think it's just my family, my children, my grandchildren, my friends. I love Tucson, my kitty cats, (laughs) you know, but also... My connection with you, it's still there. I still feel it. I close my eyes and he's with me. He is always with me. And to me, that is the circle of oneness, that the oneness is there regardless of anything that happens in the world. It's just there. And now some people don't think it has any effect on the world, but it really does have an effect on the world. It can transform the world. Now, Probably it isn't as strong as all of the massive weapons and dictators and all of that, but that doesn't matter. It's still true, eternal, and that is where we want to be. Well, this has been delightful to talk to you today. Thank you (laughs) so much for being on the program today, Gail, for this lovely full show to really just to dive into this beautiful book. And I, and again, I want to encourage everybody to get a copy of this wonderful book. 
this newest book, Gently Down This Dream by Gail and Hugh Prather. That's P-R-A-T-H-E-R. And what is the best way for people to get your book, Gail? Well, New World Library, but then also you can Amazon, of course, and then supposedly Target, Walmart, and Barnes and Noble. That's wonderful. Now, I don't know that. You may have to order them online. I don't know if they have them in the store. You're a wonderful person. I really want to thank you. It's really been an honor to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Gosh. It's really wonderful. Thank you. We're going to go on a short commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to hear the Ella Fitzgerald and Bing Crosby version of one of Hugh Prather's favorite songs, Row, Row, Row Your Boat. We'll be right back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. This is Find Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740. And in honor of Hugh Prather's favorite song, we're going to play a gorgeous rendition of Row, Row, Row Your Boat. This jazzy cover is by the inimitable Ella Fitzgerald and Bing Crosby. Let's all have a listen. Due to international copyright law, podcasts are unable to include music. Music can only be played on the live radio broadcast. Finding Your Bliss airs every Saturday at 1 p.m. If you'd like to hear this artist's music, you can find the link to our Finding Your Bliss SoundCloud in the episode description. Wow, that was so gorgeous. I can see why it was one of Hugh's favorites. For everyone here, I'm Judy Lee Brack, reminding you all to go gently down the stream and take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.